0: what's up metal maniacs you've got tom you've got george
1: you've got eric you've got another podcast coming yes you do and this is going to be an episode i've been looking forward to Mm -hmm. since we started this because this is one of my favorite priest songs it's a song that means a lot to me and eric i'm so glad that we have you on here helping us to talk about this one ladies and gentlemen. Today, we're talking about the opening cut from the amazing reunion album from 05, Angel of Retribution. This is Judas Rising. So, Eric, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: Well, yes. So, my my name is Eric. I'm uh, currently located in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm initially originally from the U.S. I moved here in 94. Big Iron Maiden fan, and that's why I do the Maiden A to Z podcast uh, with a guy named Jonathan. Has he been on your show yet? I think he has, right? Or has he? Not yet, but we're planning to get him on here. Yeah. We're all on the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and this is also one of my uh, favorite pre songs. It also sort of has uh, some personal meanings to me. It was just sort of, I happened here right around the right time. Uh, and it was, uh, so that I was really excited to be able to get on here, talk about this one. I, I think it's a song that maybe is overlooked by some of the older fans, maybe, because it's sort of, you know, a lot of times, you get this in Iron Maiden fandom as well. Some of the newer stuff is just overlooked by the, the you know, older crowd because it's not the old stuff. For me, this is a, an amazing track and it's uh a perfect kind of like an entry point or a perfect sort of a kickoff to the n- the new era, of priest. You know, the one we're still currently kind of you know in this reunion era.
0: We've been riding that wave since two thousand five. Yeah. Angel of Retribution was such a welcome return to form after the Owens era. This yeah. rising comes out of the gates and punches you in the throat with force. Mm-hmm. Angel of okay. Retribution is just a killer album.
1: Yeah. And Judas Rising to start it off, like you said, Eric, it's the perfect choice. Yeah, yeah. The way that it just opens with the guitar alone and then everything else comes in, and then you get that long, drawn out scream just mm. welcoming Halford back to the band. It is one of the comeback songs in metal
2: history, I think. I, th- I think it sort of has the same function. In the same way that the Wicker Man reintroduced, reintroduced Bruce to you know, Iron Maiden and Iron Maiden fans. This is the same sort of, you get the same kind of effect with this. It's, you know, you're, re, re, you know, you're introducing your Rob to the, you know, to the world Judas Priest or to the fans of Judas Priest. And it sounds, yeah, it's, it's exactly what you want it to be. It, has, uh,
0: yeah. it reminds you why you loved Halford in the first place. Oh, okay. That's what we're yeah. missing. I got it. I'm on board.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: It's true. We talked about this in our last episode with Greg D. During the Owens era, Priest was playing in like clubs and small theaters in the U.S. And once Halford came back, they're back to playing big arenas again. Mm. I saw them play in 05 at the Mohegan Sun in Mm. Connecticut. It was pretty packed. And I just remember it was the first concert I'd ever been to. And the whole size and the spectacle, it just really impressed me at age 14 or 15. Yeah.
0: Hey, hey, George, how'd you feel if that was your first concert experience? Were other concerts just like uh, underwhelming for you after that? Or is it like kind of an apples and oranges thing?
1: Probably apples and oranges, but I will say that Priest is still one of the top five bands I've ever seen. Yeah. When are we supposed to see them again? March 30, man.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, oh, man, dude. I'm stoked! I'm we've only been excited. waiting literally years
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be worth it especially now that they they decided that whole um touring is a four piece those yeah you know they, their plans got foiled because they were a bad idea so i'm yeah, really I'm, I'm thrilled
1: yeah sometimes people can affect change on the internet like i sort of compared it to when Uh, The Sonic the Hedgehog movie was first revealed, (laughs) and the original design of Sonic was so terrible, everyone complained. So they changed it and they listened. And I feel like Priest did something kind of like that.
0: That's a fabulous analogy. Hey, you know what? Everyone
2: hates this bad idea. Maybe we shouldn't do it. (laughs) That's so weird because I was on. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, you guys know Fergal, right? From yeah, Back in metal, metal. Metal. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was on one of his pods uh, uh, last week. I don't, it hasn't come out yet, but we discussed this and I compared the, the priest thing to the song, the hedgehog thing. It's the same kind of situation. <laughs> that's so over,
0: funny. You know. <laughs> Yo, what are the fucking odds?
2: Yeah, I, I think it, yeah, I think that's a good, I mean, I think that, um, in both those cases something that was not great was corrected and i think that's uh i think that was a very good obviously especially in the the priest thing you can't have priests with one guitar it doesn't doesn't make sense
1: right every album they've ever made was a guitar pairing and that's just a key component to their sound yeah and i don't think they should lose that i don't think it would ever come out with anything good
0: i know you know i i am even of the opinion that priest should really be touring with three guitarists Mm. the way that Maiden does. So that on top of having your amazing twin guitar harmonies, you also have the rhythm guitar in the background. Mm. I think, you know, what you'll find is that a lot of bands, they've got three guitar parts on an album, but they only have one guitarist and that bothers me. So, and everyone should change it because I don't like it. It's,
1: it's offensive to my
0: sensibilities. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, you've got a point that, like, when you play live, you want it to sound as close to the album as possible. Yeah. Or better, if you
2: yeah. can. Oh, you wouldn't even, there's some bands you wouldn't even think would need it. Like, Food Fighters these days, they have three guitar players. You wouldn't think that'd be that kind of band that you would need. You know, you'd think they could do two, but they got three, and that it sounds great. So yeah. there you go. Oh, man. Food Fighters is so fucking good.
0: Yeah.
1: One of the is bands they- keeping rock and roll alive.
2: Yeah. Straight up. Yeah, so they, and then they, I think even I saw when Pearl Jam did a few gigs last year, they had an extra guy besides the, so they had that, they did have three, sometimes they do have three guitars, anyways, but this time they had another an additional guy joining on a couple of tunes. So, yeah, so, you know, I, th- I think that's, yeah, if you want to get as close as you can to the album, if it just bring in one extra guy, yeah, why not do it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And but, you know, listen, two guitars are always going to be better than one in Judas Priest, and no Indeed. one can change. No one can change my mind. I was trying to parse that out for all, you know, when from the time that I heard the news up until the day that they were like, "Okay, we're not going to do that." I was I'm like, "Okay, like I have confidence that you can pull this off, but I have serious reservations about it."
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's still things that, things that wouldn't sound. I mean, the, the only way they could do it, I guess, they did some of the bits playback, which I don't think they really do. Either. No. I know that there are bands that do stuff
0: like that live. They have a backup track to make the sound a little more powerful, but then you yeah. still have all of the musicians are playing exactly. like It's not like they're like lip syncing or guitar syncing or whatever you no. call it. They just have the extra tracks in the background to give it a more powerful sound which is a pretty good idea. If you ask me, I think that's, I think that's solid.
2: I think the, the, one of the guys in this, in the Scorpions at some point said that he used to, uh, for some of the like uh, harmonies, he'll have a pedal doing the harmonies. So it's oh. he's still him playing, but you know, so that, I guess that also, that's probably easier, cheaper than bringing another guy, I guess. <laughs> <still>.
0: <laughs> yeah. I guess whatever you can automate, you gotta jump on that. I know that, um, I think, yeah. I think Vogue from Decapitated does that. Mm-hmm.
1: And Priest could have done something like that with Richie, but when you lose the human element, it's not as special because I think a human can play things in a way that's unique. It's not the same every time. And that's something that I think I would prefer in a live setting instead of like a backing track that's going to be like mechanically perfect, but it doesn't have the same kind of soul as a person playing.
0: Yeah, it's like that whole thing of you might not notice it, but your brain does.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Force out of fame from chaos to destiny. Bring your pain forever dying Judas is rising.
1: so angel retribution guys Mm. album is now 17 years old and it's older than i was the first time i heard it holy crap
2: 17 years old jesus that makes me feel old
1: (laughs) yeah there's an album that's been out over half my life now
0: wow hey george we're, we're getting old as fuck how does it feel
1: you know, I think some of our listeners might have something to say about that. Yeah,
0: you know, it's funny because like we do actually. What I'm noticing is that we cater to an audience that's older than we are, and everyone's always like give like not giving a shit, but we get like little ribs about how young we are. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm not even 30 yet, so you're not? No, dude, Jeez. I'm, I'm going to be 30 this year. It's going to be. Uh, but you know, I think it's kind of cool though. I've always liked the con, like the idea of like multi-generational metalheads, And you've got guys like me and George who are keeping the torch of Judas Priest alive. This band has been around a very long time. My parents were teenagers when Priest dropped their first album. That's kind of incredible to me. Yeah. And I love the staying power of metal. I don't know that many other genres have that kind of power to them.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so either. I think I think it, there is something something very special about this genre and the kind of fans that do tend to uh, drift towards it. And it's so interesting with the sort of multi-generational thing. I mean, there's people who, who I've uh, hung out with who are you know maybe 30 years older than me or whatnot. And we don't, we, we ne- wouldn't necessarily have that much to talk about, but we have like, we if it's a, I mean, like, for instance, like Iron Maiden or fucking Black Sabbath, we can talk about that and we have that in common. And the, so the age difference disappears because you have that common ground. Uh and, you know, even though this is a completely different experience, you know, maybe like people like maybe saw like uh, there's a guy who's on our pod quite a bit who's, I mean, he's only about like 10 years older than me, but he still he still was on like tours and seen stuff that, you know, that I I've only read about. So yeah. that's kind of cool. But we still, you know, it's uh, but we still, you know, we have the common ground of just loving the same band. So it's uh, bringing and, people together through generations.
0: And it's also really cool, you know, specifically if we're talking about Angel of Retribution, Priest is a band that, you know, well into, at that point, they were what, less, less than 40 years into their career, less than 40 years, but that they're still releasing in 2005, that they're still releasing fantastic music. And at that point, they're getting up there in age. Glenn Tipton had not yet been diagnosed with Parkinson's mm. and Angel of Retribution comes out as this absolutely killer return to form. And it's just as fresh as anything they've ever done.
1: And Eric, you touched on this, that some of those older fans from generations before us, they're sort of overlooking this album. So maybe Angel of Retribution is a lot closer to people in our age group, Mm. even though we're all united as priest fans. I feel like this is one of the albums that might mean a little more to people who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, like us. And for me, it was right around that time when I was first starting to get into metal. So, Angel of Retribution is kind of a formative album for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I just discovered Priest in 04, the Halford reunion at that point, it was big hype. So, I remember I was anticipating this album pretty highly because i was sort of caught up in that i felt like i want to be part of this important moment in metal history or at the very least in the history of this band Mm -hmm. it's it's a very important moment and angel of retribution and the halford reunion are linked in my head because it was relatively the same time
2: yeah now because i know that initially the album was supposed to come out in 2004 so, like, you'll see, like, apparently, I, I, mean, I just read this today. So, but it's, it's, this is not something I knew. I'm not, I'm not that uh, well versed in this stuff, unfortunately. But apparently, uh, they were thinking about pushing, putting out the end of 2004, but they saved it to 2005. So, some albums the, on the physical copies, you'll see that it says 2004. Apparently, really. Yeah. So,
0: wait, I, what? Why did they decide to do that?
2: I think that the record label decided that they'd, they'd, they'd be able to it, it would do better in, in the sort of spring. I guess maybe. I don't know. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, So, but when did Rob rejoin the band? That would have been in 2000, was it in 2004 or was it 2003? I think they announced it in 03, but they were doing a summer tour
1: in 04 as the reunited lineup. But like you said, December, it's not a great time for album sales. And when you consider about how websites and magazines are putting together, their Best of the year lists. Yeah, (laughs) They're writing those lists in November. So Uh, December albums never seem to find their way on it.
0: You know, I I hadn't thought about that because if you are doing your best of the year, you don't want to release something at the ass end of November or December. Because I guess, you know, I mean, listen, I know a lot of reviewers, they kind of circumvent that. They're like, yeah, I know this came out last year, but it was in December. So it's close Mm -hmm. enough.
2: I think it was. I, I I don't know where I who told me this, but it might have been Fergal. But they, or, or maybe it was on one of those pods. But apparently, when Spotify do their their yearly wrapped thing, uh, they they stop collecting data for that in like the end of October. So it's just up until then because it's everything before then. That's why there's not a, hell of a lot of Christian music on those, unless there's apparently weird people just listen to Christian music all year round. So, <laughs> uh, so listen, like, you-
0: I'll turn on like I'll I'll turn on Christopher Lee's Christmas album in June. Mm-hmm. Why not? Sure, we'll find yeah, That's uh, fine. No, you <laughs> won't. Brad. I dare you. Or, or one I've, of Halford's. Yeah. Three, even
2: better. Of yeah. It makes more sense to release something in like, and maybe say, I, I, when this, when did this come out exactly? Did it come out in, in the spring? It must have spring yeah, of
1: so It was originally released on the 23rd of February in 05. Uh, I think it got delayed to March in some territories back when music releases were not always on the same day. Like now it's Friday worldwide, but it used to be like, oh, well, it's coming out on this day in Japan and this day in Australia and this day in Germany before the whole sort of digital thing made it easy for worldwide releases to happen. Yeah, yeah.
2: But there's a few things I do miss from, you know, back like when this album would have come out, because I recall... There's a guy I used to know back then who owned a record store. I was, a, I was, a, and he'd sometimes I'd be allowed to buy stuff like a day before it came out at least because, because he'd get it in a few days early. So I think I did end up getting this a couple of days early, and that was kind of fun. But nowadays, you know, like it drops and you, it's on, it's on Spotify immediately or whatnot. And that, if it's an album I'm really looking forward to, I, I don't listen to it on Spotify first. I do try to get the physical uh, one. Like I, I did that for the latest Maiden album. I,
1: I did that for you know, some Jitsu. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But there was something fun about the fact that just, you know, heading into town and then, you know, getting it a little bit early. And it was I felt like I was the only one who had it. I obviously wasn't, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that was fun.
0: But you might be one of the only people that actually went out and bought a physical copy, at least in your area. I understand what you're saying. I love collecting album art. I've got mm-hmm. a modest collection of vinyl. I think me and George are kind of in that same boat where we enjoy physical media because it allows you to consume the product in a way that you just can't do it when you're streaming it.
1: Angel of Retribution, there was a combined CD and DVD version. So, obviously, the CD was the album. The DVD had a little bit of a 30 minute documentary on the history of the band, how they reunited with Halford, and then some live footage of like seven songs from the reunited 2004 tour. Mm -hmm. And that was definitely worth it to me because that DVD was. Sort of a nice little hype package to get me excited to go see the band in person in 05 for the Angel of Retribution tour.
0: I definitely miss when metal bands used to release live shows on DVD. Mm, You know, the the, the first one that I ever had was Children of Bodom. They Mm. did, um, it was Stockholm Knockout Live. It was really awesome. It was the live performance. At one of Stockholm's more famous venues, I think Dissection played there, too. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then there was, like you said, a mini documentary also on the disc about the history of the band and some interviews and behind the scenes stuff. And I don't recall the last time I've ever even seen one of those DVDs.
2: It's YouTube now, man. Fair enough well, that's what right. it is that's what it is and that kind of I was surprised that when, when Maiden did the uh the Book of Souls uh tour that that was not released in a DVD you know that was just released online uh which kind of was I thought it was kind of disappointing that they didn't you know uh do that and we we didn't get anything for um you know for the uh, knights of the Knights of the Dead which is you know I, I kind of like like in rock and Rio the fun thing there was all the you know all the uh all of like little mini things like documentaries, like you like, you know, fucking Dave Murray and Nick McBrain, you know, golfing. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's, it's just fun because, it's you know, I, I miss that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. You want to peek behind the curtain a little bit sometimes, depending on who you are. Maybe you want this band to be these sort of mythical heroes. Mm. But there's another type of fan like me who mm. kind of wants to get to know these band guys as regular people. What do they do when they're not, like, doing Iron Maiden shit? Oh, they're playing golf. Eric, tell us about how
2: you got into Priest, dude. Yeah, all right. So that would have been... I was trying to remember exactly when this was, and I think it must have been when I was... uh must have been around, like, I think it was 2002, 2003, or something, something like that. And was, the way it happened was I, um, I'd i seen the... Like, same with the Maiden, kind of. I, I'd seen the records in the record shop, and I was like, this looks kind of cool. And I'm and also, uh, back then, my um my parents at that point were catholic so i, I sort of was sort of forcing that bit as well so it pre seemed a little dangerous you know j- just the word oh judas what's this then you know and, that, and the same thing it kind of gets you into heavy metal as you know as a genre you know, as a whole it looked it seemed kind of dangerous and uh so i got the i, I bought the uh i bought screaming for vengeance because that one looked the coolest yeah and i was you know I listened to Maiden quite a bit at that point, but this was something very different. This sort of had sort of a almost like a sort of like a sinister kind of like snarl to it that Maiden doesn't really do very well. Uh and it just seemed uh it was it was so fast. Like just the song, you know, Screaming for Vengeance is is insane. And that uh mm. and that's what got that's what got, that's what got me into you know into the band in general. And then I sort of I didn't win waiver, but I, I I checked out some of the older stuff. But then I, I at that point, you know, I I've been sort of told that, well, you know, the real guy's not in the band anymore, so they suck. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, and that, you know. And then sort of when when the, the uh angel retribution rolled around, you know, that got me really excited, especially because you know, oh so the real guy's back now. Okay, cool. I'll check that out. So uh I got like I said, I got this, I got it early, uh, and I was blown away. It's not exactly what you kind of was you know what you wanted to sound like, it because it doesn't sound like it wasn't the, the the leap from some of the stuff like on Screaming for Vengeance and some of the stuff on that one. It's not that you, you can you can very much hear it's the same band. It doesn't it doesn't sound like the amount of time that, you know even those years have passed. It doesn't sound like it. it sounds like you can really hear that you know the same the blueprints of what they are now is definitely in the you know the old the old stuff as well. And I know you can probably you'll probably get newer older fans who totally will not agree with me because they think like. Like, like, you get maiden purists who, are like, oh no, they haven't been good for 20 years. You know, there's people like that. But for me, it's uh like like Judas Rising could just as easily been a painkiller. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: So it's almost like Angel of Retribution is like that movie reboot where they mm. ignore a couple of the sequels that weren't good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Jugulator, Demolition. What's that? That? No, What's that? No, no, the album yeah. after Painkiller is Angel of Retribution guys. <laughs> yeah. And you can see that direct line from the 80s material, like the Screaming for Vengeance, mm-hmm. The Ram It Down, The Defenders, and Painkiller, all the way. You see that like fine line go from those albums through to Angel of Retribution. And it's drawing a lot of inspiration from stuff really from that time period, but more so just a little bit from every Priest era with Mm -hmm. Alford. They tried to tie it in either through lyrical references or just a little bit of songs that pull musical elements from those older albums.
0: I love that even though, and we've talked about this before on the pod, is that each album is different, but the DNA is still there that you can still tell, oh, this is Priest. You know, there's there's never anything that is so wildly different that you can't hear at least a little bit of that in each album, even on albums like Nostradamus and Mm -hmm. Jugulator that are departures from their traditional sound. The blood of the band is still there. You can still hear it. You can feel it. I don't think I'll ever get over how surprisingly great Firepower was. That Mm -hmm. album is just, it's such a treat every Mm -hmm. time I listen to it. I'm not sure if I'll ever get over that shock.
2: No, it's it's a great one. And this one is too, of course, but just you know, uh, but that one just I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't prepared for how good that was gonna be. And Another they don't sound one. they don't sound their age, they sound like there's a lot younger band on you know, making that a, 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 you know a lot hungrier than a band, you know, has been going on as long as they have, but yeah, generally mm-hmm.
1: at that point. I think they were hungry in a sense, like they were hungry. To prove themselves to prove that metal has no age limit and they wanted to prove we still got it because nostradamus wasn't the biggest hit redeemer of souls was a definite step up but it still wasn't quite on the level of like the 70s and 80s classics firepower it's like they had this drive they said no we need to show that we are still on top of metal and yeah, they did. They did. I think, yeah, they did. Definitely. So, Eric. Yes. You said that when Angel of Retribution came out, you went to the record store, you got mm-hmm. it. What did you think when you saw that cover art? What do you remember?
2: It seemed like um, image, image-wise, just the imagery in there. that that's sort of, the, it, it looks exactly what you'd expect a Judas Priest album to look like. It looks like a sequel to like some of the older stuff. Like It reminds you kind of of like, yeah, like, I'm going to go back to you know, Screaming for Vengeance. It has that kind of, same vibe but like an updated kind of like a new version it's uh it looked great it, it was you know it's uh i, I, I love it nice i think i think also even like if you take if i compare it to some of the stuff maiden had going on around that time uh maiden haven't really done a particularly uh good album cover since 2000 i feel i don't like the later these these you know these like dance to death wasn't great uh i don't i mean Mad of Life and Death was okay. But if you look what Priest was doing in that period, theirs have always been, you know, really cool. I think even Nostradamus, that's a fucking badass cover, I feel. But this one, definitely, uh, I really dug. It, it seemed like uh, it felt like coming home. If you felt very familiar, like you yeah. know you what you're getting.
1: Yeah. So Priest has been getting Mark Wilkinson to do their cover art for a while. And Mark Wilkinson, here's a maiden connection. He's also the one who did Book of Souls. Oh, which was a lot of people's favorite album art from Maiden in a long, long time. Maybe I agree with that. Derek Riggs era. I agree with that. So Mark Wilkinson, he's been doing priest cover art for a long time since 1988 with Ram It Down. So he did Painkiller. He did Jugulator Mm. and he's still working for the band. He did Firepower. So Mark Wilkinson has done a lot for priest, I think, with Angel they were trying to tie it back to some of their previous history because you've got the sort of metal figure from painkiller maybe even combined with the whole angel that was on the cover way back on sad wings mm-hmm. and destiny and that priest cross the with the three points the sort of emblem that they have on a lot of their album covers angel of retribution was the first album
2: where they put that as the T in their logo. That's cool. It's just it's just a badass uh, logo. Uh, I've been trying to find a necklace version of it in silver, whatnot. And every time I sort of stumbled upon one, well, either they looked really weird or they've been sort of unofficial kind of bootlegs, or they've been w- very expensive, so I haven't gotten them. But someday I will. <laughs>
0: Angel of Retribution um it has one of my favorite album covers of all of Priest's work. I think that it's just like the mechanical angel is such a cool concept. Yeah.
1: I think that they really needed something that would work well in terms of image for their reunion because Priest they're not just known for music. They're known for their imagery. They've always had awesome cover art and the big superimposed print of the angel. It works great as a stage backdrop. It looks cool on shirts. So I think having a great cover art like that really only helped their case. Definitely. And even if like, even if there's an older lapsed fan, who's not up to date, like if he's in the record shop and he sees that cover like out of nowhere, like he'll be interested you just pick it up and it's like, oh shit, priest is back. And this looks like legit. This cover reminds me of their old stuff. Yeah. Like you don't want a plain ass, boring cover like no, demolition. you
0: don't want a rockerola. <laughs> 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 yeah, we should we shit on that rock and roll art a lot. Yeah, it's not it's not great. It? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that,
1: no one likes the Coke bottle cover, but yeah. to our it, credit, we do actually like the Rock Roll album. So yeah.
0: You know, I'm ashamed of how long it took me to realize that the connection was like rock and roll, Coca-Cola. It took me way <laughs> too long to make that connection. The band hated
1: that cover art, too. <laughs> they didn't even pick it. The label was just like, hey, we got some art for you guys. What yeah, do you it was think?
0: Like, it's like, <laughs> it was like the 70s equivalent of going on to like Imgur photo bucket and being like, hey, we got this one in stock. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. That and that is actually, you know, Nostradamus. Going back to that, has one mm. of my favorite Priest Star albums. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. That was what. That was the thing. I looked at that. I was sold on the cover alone. Like, wow, this looks cool. Let's take a look. And then I was like, wow, I'm bored.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there was this Dude. really cool uh, steel book, like version of like a deluxe version of that album that I that that um. I was going to get just because just like, Oh my God, this is so beautiful. I didn't know I'm getting it. It was very expensive, but it was like a sure. thicker kind of version. It was at least um, people listening, can't see this, but it'd be like, like this thick. So like maybe like an inch thick. And it was, it was metal. It was all shiny and whatnot. Sure. And yeah. Yeah. I I, I probably should have got just because it, it, looked, it looked great, but you know, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Hey, listen, I'm sure we all have our reasons at the time that we didn't make wild investments on things. Yeah. This is why I'm not a
2: millionaire, <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't i didn't end up getting the deluxe version of the you know latest maiden album either that you know cost like there's two versions of it one of them was insanely expensive one was still just pretty nuts but no i i you know I have, I have i have i already have two versions of it on vinyl so i think i think that's enough
1: you know? Yeah, yeah my maiden shelf is getting pretty full man <laughs> and they've already got their own shelf so they don't have a whole lot of room to expand
0: yeah, there's a the, you. You've got a shelf dedicated to Maiden and Priest, if I recall correctly. Now I've just
1: got the huge box set of all the yeah. stuff. So that oh, sort cool. of fits on its own.
0: Speaking uh. of things that are wildly expensive, uh, that was a worthy investment, though. That was worth it, I think.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to actually get into some more of those live albums this
0: year. We got to have like a listening party beforehand.
2: Oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> How yeah, far right. do, you guys, do you guys live close
0: to each other? Or what's the uh, we used living? We used to we grew up in the same town? Um, oh. he lives in Connecticut now, and I live in New Jersey. Um, originally we were both we, we both grew up in New York. Um, we used to live really close. Um, now, um, there's a it's not like a huge distance, it takes like an hour and change for us to get to each other. All right, all right,
1: on a good. Sunday with no traffic, like I can get there in an hour, yeah, yeah, and we keep saying oh, next time we're not going to do it on Zoom. We're going to do it in person. And then something will happen. Like today, we have a snowstorm that just hit yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and
0: I think the last episode we did in person was um, one-on-one.
1: Yeah. It's been a while, Tom. What else do we have on Judas Rising, guys? Do we want to sort of break down the different parts of the song, like beginning to end?
2: could do that, I guess. Yeah, that works. Yeah, man. Fucking
0: i yes. I'm going br- to bring up the lyrics real quick.
1: Yeah, do it. So Judas Rising, like we were saying, it starts out with just the guitar piece, and then you get a screech that sounds like it could be coming from a guitar, and then it sort of turns into a vocal scream, and that's Rob Halford saying, I'm back, baby, Mm -hmm. with a long drawn-out scream to open the album, and it just kills, it slays.
2: There's only one guy who can do that. And that's, it's Rob. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, Oh yeah. will go ahead. No, just, it's, I mean, if you take even, uh, I know, I know, you know, Bruce Dickinson does a few of those dabbles in that little bit. He has an infamous scream on like uh, number of the beast. And that, that's, uh, you yeah, know, he's great at that bit, but this sort of what Rob does is there's no one else who really can do that, I don't think, in, in the same way. I think Rob is
0: completely inimitable. A lot of the guys in, no, all of the guys in Priest are. You can find someone who has the same vocal range that Rob does, mm. and can kind of like do impressive screams. But the just raw charisma and showmanship is something that nobody else in the world can mimic. And when Halford, you know, when he really gets it right, mm. no one can beat him.
2: No, that that's. I mean, you can you can, you can probably find guys on like YouTube who can do like. Uh, you know, who can you know, quote unquote, you know, sound like you know exactly like him, and they maybe they can to some degree, but you can just hear there's something missing. Like there's a guy who does. Uh, his name is, I think his name is Raphael,
1: Raphael Mendez. Yeah, yeah, and the he's Bruce great. can sound alike?
0: He's oh, great, I but- know. Is that the guy who does the? Oh, if blank sounded like Maiden or yes. something like that? Yeah, <laughs> yes. that guy's I- the man.
2: Those are you know, those are really funny, he's really good. But you can also hear it's it's not Bruce. There's something missing that that, that it's hard to put your finger on it, but it, it is. So even yeah. the guys on like there's right. probably guys on YouTube who can do like the screech just like you know, Rob, but it's not gonna be the same thing. There's gonna be something missing. Right. And you can sound
1: ninety-eight to... percent like someone uh-huh. that Raphael Mendez guy sounds ninety-eight percent like yeah. Bruce Dickinson, but the voice is the most unique instrument and Mm -hmm. you can very rarely ever sound a hundred percent like someone.
0: Again, man, like you might not notice immediately, but your brain does. Yes. There was a really cool video I saw where it was like the voice in some in like Eastern Europe, something like that. I don't remember what country it is. The voice has, the voice is all over the damn place, but Mm -hmm. there was a guy who did a cover of painkiller and he sounded he had like um it sounded pretty similar to Bruce Dickinson. It was like painkiller by way of Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. It sounded really cool. It's kind of cool to see how their how their styles can be not, I don't want to use the word interchangeable, but they kind of complement each other really yeah. well, especially when they're put together like that.
1: You know what you made me think of? A long time ago, there was this split album between these two punk rock bands. No FX and Rancid, mm-hmm. and they were covering each other's songs. If Priest and Maiden did something like that, oh, that'd be so picked Three of each other's songs and covered it. Wouldn't that be friggin' cool? That'd be great. Hear what it would be. That like? would
0: actually be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would actually. You know, I'm not the biggest Maiden fan. I would like to see Maiden and Priest cover each other's songs, like with their own unique branding, their own flavor. You know. Mm-hmm. Maiden covering a song like Metal Gods Mm. or Electric Eye, and then having priests do like The Trooper or Number of the Beast would be really fascinating.
1: Yeah, man, I would love to hear richie Faulkner shred the Subo and Power Slave. Yeah, I was gonna say Power Slave would be amazing.
2: That probably won't happen. (laughs) It'll probably happen, but it's so awesome to think about.
0: I think it's okay to dream, Eric. You know.
2: Yes, that's, yes, indeed it
1: is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me pull up this song. Just pull yep. it a little clip.
0: Dude, that scream is more impressive than his screams on Painkiller, I think. That is such a feat, what he just did. Yeah,
1: man. Welcome back, Rob.
0: Yeah. Mm. And again, it's like that moment where it's like, oh, now I remember why I love this band.
1: It's there, man. This song has the pieces. It's got a strong performance from everyone in the band. and. I think it was very wise for them to make this the opener. Mm, definitely.
0: Oh hell, yeah. that's again, you know great priest tradition of coming out the gates with an opener that grabs you by it grabs you by your ears and it doesn't let you go until the end of the album mm.
1: I wish that they had opened the tour with it as well. I think that would have been really good. So I've got a quote from Rob here and he says, Judas Rising is a spectacular part of the show. In conjunction with the special effects and the backdrop and everything, the essence of that song, the message it conveys, this is something we really felt need to be included. The song has a frustrating push-pull quality to it because of Scott's plodding 1 in 3 double bass drum pattern. You'll almost peg the song as a typical fast opener, but then you realize it's actually quite slow. And the last part is coming from uh, commentary in Martin Popoff's book as well. So it would have been, I think, it would have been a good opener. Maybe they didn't go with it because it's slow, and then they stuck with Electric Eye because it's like the classic. But even so, like, the song does come across quite good live.
0: Yeah, I got to say, Electric Eye is like, I think that is, especially... um... When played with the Hellion over it is such a great concert opener. Mm.
1: Yeah, I could see that they want to
0: open with something fast, you know. Yeah, get people excited, you know, get the energy
2: up. But I do, I do agree. I, I'm surprised because I, I, I didn't see that tour, unfortunately. But I'm surprised that they they didn't open with this because it's such a right. It, it seems like designed to be an opener.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Written as one. Yeah. What did they open with? They
1: opened with... uh, They opened with Electric Eye. It almost kind of seems like they're not being as brave as they could be by choosing not to open with something new, even though they did play it. So I guess, you know, all's well that ends well. But even so, you know, like a lot of bands will open the show with something fresh from their newest album. And I think that they could have done that for Angel of Retribution. Uh, Whatever. They still played like five songs from the album on the tour.
0: Yeah. How do you feel about that, too? You know there's some some tours, you know, a band will only play a handful of songs off of a new album, then a bunch of old stuff. And then it seems like some bands will play only their new stuff and Mm. nothing old. You know, Exodus does that. They don't play. Man, they don't play anything off of like shovel-headed kill machine anymore, or temp. Like they play blacklist off of tempo of the dam. But other than that, they stick to whatever their latest album is, and until you know, their next album comes out.
2: I, was, I, I think that, I think it's I think you need to have a I think the problem is uh, because whatever you do, there's going to be some people who are, who's going to be annoyed by it. I mean, I, I personally um, when I mean, when I when I go to see a band, I, I kind of like to hear the new stuff because I haven't heard that stuff yet um yeah so i've seen it multiple times but i understand if you if you're like let's say you really let's say if priest were to do like they're gonna they do a tour where they they release an album and they they play the entire new album and maybe play one or two hits towards the end um i think if you're someone who's there to see the hits like that's you know you're going to be kind of annoyed by that as well so fair enough i guess you need to find a sort of some, some middle ground but yeah i i don't like i think i get i don't like it when bands um you know, completely ignore the new record because that seems a bit sort of, uh, I don't know. It's not, cowardly is the wrong word, but kind of like when, when I saw Alice Cooper, I've seen him many times on album tours where he's played like one song from the album and just done the old stuff. Cause he gets us the ones to hear, I guess, but you know, I'm
1: with you and I was going to touch on probably a lot of the same notes. Like you're always going to get those fans who are there only for the old stuff. That's all they want. But like you like you said man if you've seen this band live more than once don't you want to hear some different songs it's like yeah "Yeah, i I love breaking the law but i've heard it i love metal gods but i've heard it man play me some of the new stuff you just made this new album own it and sort of play it live and show us what it's all about
0: Yeah, know what was cool so back in 2016 I saw Enslaved. They did this really cool concert where there was a Q&A session beforehand and then they play, They did a show, they played a part one where it was all old stuff actually and then there was a part two to the show where it was all new stuff hmm. and that was really cool and if I'm not mistaken, that I when I went to see that show, that was one of the only times they performed Havenless live. Huh. That that was a really, yeah, that was a great show. I'll never forget that. And it was really funny because I don't remember what I said in the crowd once when they were in between songs, but I said something and, and I wasn't like jeering or anything, but the singer heard me and he goes, <laughs> he looked at me and he goes, oh, I got an idea. Why don't you come up here and play bass? And then I can go out into the crowd and yell profanities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what did you say to this guy i said something really stupid like man i want your babies <laughs> yeah and i i don't know if he misheard me or if he was just riffing on it but that was one that was so goddamn funny <laughs>
2: that's
0: yeah. good
1: yeah. yeah he's that guy's got a real good sense of humor yeah like i remember one year for uh call whatchamacallit one year on april 1st april fool's day he dressed up like peter griffin and he was going to be in the live action family guy movie and people believed it just because of how close he looked to peter griffin
0: dude that's rad holy crap you gotta love a band that has like a good sense of humor that like can almost take the piss out of themselves yeah yeah definitely
1: so let me play the next part of the song please mm-hmm. do So at that point, it's just a couple whammies, but when they play it live, Richie Faulkner shreds a really awesome guitar solo in between the first and second verses there.
2: He's amazing. You no, know, just to say, Richie is, uh, you know, he had obviously huge shoes to fill when he joined, but he's such an amazing fucking guitarist. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, you know, he, Whenever you get a new guy joining a band or replacing someone, you kind of get, you know, probably it's going to annoy some people or, you know, feel kind of weird. But for me, for me, he is the guy at this point because he's such an amazing guitarist. He's proved himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me throw on a quick
1: clip of the solo that he does between the first and second Mm -hmm. verses. It's sick. That's badass. Yeah, he He, likes to add his own little flair to the songs. And for the most part, it's always a good addition.
0: Yeah, Yeah, he is just he's got so much flair and charisma as a player. He dude, he belongs in that band. He he's got the spirit of the band. He's got the chops. He fits in so well. He has breathed new life Mm -hmm. back into this group at this point. I am just so happy that he is a part of the permanent lineup. I mean, yeah, definitely. yeah, the guy is just, he is as talent. Like, I don't like to use the word talent. He is as skillful as Glenn or KK.
1: I would say so. I mean, in a live setting, oftentimes he has to play both players' solos mm. because Andy Sneap, uh, he's more of a rhythm guitarist. Sneep does a few solos, but these days it's Richie
0: doing a majority of them. Mm. Yeah, he does both of the solos on Painkiller and he plays them flawlessly. It's while dying. Yeah. yeah that's right. He <laughs> yeah, sounded
2: like, sound like a fucking like, heart attack while when it was going on. Not even a heart attack. It wasn't, what's it called? Uh, an aneurysm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: It was an aortic oh, yeah. aneurysm.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I, I remember that because it's, uh, I don't know if you guys, uh, there's an actor called, uh, john ritter uh and that's what eventually killed him uh, oh because oh, wow. it's a huge the mortality rate is apparently basically you're, you're most people don't make it, because
1: oh. of it so damn yeah so, he was so. he was minutes from dying it's like holy crap we were this close to not having judas priest anymore and we live in the parallel universe where he did live
0: yeah it's, which thankfully we're on that timeline
2: yeah shit. yeah, yeah
0: oh man it's 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 one of those things that's so scary to think about we wind up revisiting this a lot about how close of a call it was Mm. and just and it like what are the odds of a guy in his 40s having
2: one of those you know yeah i mean and also the the, okay the odds of him having one and being close enough to hospital for that to sort of just everything sort of clicked so that kind of worked itself out
0: yeah and Uh, he still played the solo to painkiller flawlessly all the way through
2: yeah
1: yeah i just can't believe like the amount of resilience and i think in 20 to 30 years we'll be looking back at like what are the moments in metal history and that'll be one that comes up like richie faulkner playing the painkiller solo
2: perfectly while dying
1: yeah. Finishing the song before making it to
2: the hospital. You know, it's it's great that, you know, he, he's still with us because, you, know, be you know, again, you wouldn't have, we wouldn't have Judas Priest at this point if that were the case. But as, 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 a, you know, just sort of like a sort of a dramatic kind of way to go out, you know, that being the last thing you do, fucking shredding that song, Painkiller, I think there's worse ways, the worst last things you can yeah, do, I guess. That's
0: a fair point. Like that's, that's going out in a blaze of glory. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Like shit, man. You deserve to go to Valhalla for that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and he would. He would Definitely. go to the
0: halls of Valhalla. <laughs> Probably. So it would.
1: It would have been just as appropriate if he died while playing Halls of Valhalla. Oh ah. yeah.
2: There you go. <laughs> there's. A, there's. A, I think. I think it's an old Norm Macdonald joke. It's about when someone dies and they go, "Well, at least he died doing something he loved." And the, the reason that doesn't make any sense because, well, if, if you if you, if you do that and you die doing something you love you know there's a possibility that you might not like it as much a- afterwards because since the last time you did it you fucking died so you
0: know
2: <laughs> <laughs> right? Maybe. someone reincarnates or they're in yeah. the
1: afterlife and it's like, yeah, like well shit i don't want to play guitar anymore the last That's time the i got it <laughs> killed
0: me
2: <laughs> see how that worked out yeah
0: you got to be like gun shy after that it's like like baseball players who get hit in the head by like a 98 mile per hour fastball or something. It's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh,
2: but yeah, well, either way, he's still with us. That's the main thing.
0: Yeah. And we're very grateful for that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And now this will tie back to something that we said earlier and way back in the beginning about how, you have to be able to play your material live. Mm. And I'll just read this quote from Rob, where he sort of backs that up. He says, whatever Priest does in the studio, we should be able to recreate that on the stage. And he said, Judas Rising is going to be a really spectacular moment. It just sounds phenomenal live. The way the song is interpreted as a five piece with no gimmicks and backup tapes and this, that, and the other thing. No Pro Tools running in the background. This is the band playing it live. The real honest connection is there. We've always tried to insist that the players play the music. That's very important to us. So when we play Judas Rising or Revolution or any of those other songs, they're going to sound great and they'll equally connect Equally connect with the old stuff,
2: he means.
0: You know, so, our, our good buddy Chris told me a long time ago something that stuck with me is that a band is only as good as what they can pull off live. Mm -hmm. And I happen to believe that's true. You know, anyone, you can do anything in a studio, man. You know, like there's like, a buddy of mine is a producer and he's told me constantly, dude, you have no idea like, like how many albums have synthetic drums where You know, things are recorded in bits and pieces Uh. and heavily edited afterwards. No, uh, but it's far more like anything can can sound impressive in a studio setting. But playing it live is uh, if you can pull it off, that's that's how you know if a band is good. Yeah, definitely. And Priest Live is they I haven't seen a bad performance of them in all of the videos I've seen, even. When Glenn Tipton was diagnosed with Parkinson's and it was starting to take a toll on his playing, he was still playing the solo to Painkiller fabulously.
1: A mediocre Judas Priest performance is still good. Like, it'll sound better than a lot of other bands. And when Judas Priest isn't at their finest, they're still good
0: even a medi- like a mediocre priest performance is better than some band's best night definitely uh, gets me so excited that we're going to be seeing them again that's going to be i think that's going to be its own episode probably right
1: yeah we'll definitely have to do an episode talking about that show and we're bringing both of our significant others so i'd love to get them on there just have a four-way round table and we'll talk about our memories and the that's things we idea. did, the good times we had.
0: I like that.
2: You know, I was supposed to see him in um let's see. Oh, I can't remember when the original date was at this point. This was the this was the tour they're supposed to do with Aussie um, at some point. And that's sort of we were bu- just
0: talking about that with someone <laughs> else. That's so funny.
2: Yeah, we were
1: talking about that with our buddy Steve from Scotland, and he was telling us, so when I first got the tickets, my wife had told me that she was pregnant. And now our son is three and the tour still haven't been rescheduled. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, I got the tickets. Essentially, if it happens in 2023, was what, what they're saying at the moment, I'll have had the tickets for half a decade. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: <laughs> that is wild, man. Think about that. Also, yeah, to be fair,
2: I mean, I love Ozzy. I probably wouldn't have gone to see him on his own because I kind of want to remember him as last time I saw him. <laughs> I'm there for Priest so if aussie the reason they haven't had to cancel is because of, because of aussie so i'd like, yeah, just yeah just come on your own guys we're, we're, fine. we're fine yeah we're fine i'd be fine just seeing priests on their own mm. yeah so oh
0: eric tell
2: you're us right. what you're drinking man oh yeah so i'm drinking right now it's uh it's some trooper uh, i had some uh it's Iron Maiden's own sort of beer. This is a Trooper Six Six Six. Nice premium lager. Yeah. Um, this is not one of my favorite ones. I think the best one is for me. I think I really like the Sun and Steel variation. It's uh, it's uh, that's a lager which in, which is infused with sake. Apparently, mm. very good. very good. Damn, that it, sounds that sounds yeah.
1: great. Yeah, really I've good. never had a sake infused
2: beer over right. here. That sounds awesome. You, dude, I, I think most people have it. I think it's pretty weird. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I, that sounds awesome. It sounds like something that sounds like something my fiance would really love. Yeah. We I do mean,
1: this guess... thing in like hibachi restaurants or sushi restaurants. Uh, it's called a sake bomb. Mm-hmm. So you take a big glass of beer, and then you have a little cup of sake. And what you do is you just put the sake cup right into the glass of beer and then you chug the whole thing yeah and then the other people that you're drinking with if they're cool they'll start pounding the table with their fists and saying sake 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 bomb
2: oh there we go yeah
1: so we kind of make our own sake beer here but it's not like it's not the same as having (laughs) it infused yeah exactly
2: yeah there's there's a there's a yeah we do there's a bit of that here where we do the um i think more more standard thing out in the uh i Bars is the uh, the so sort of classic of you know glass of beer shot of ja- Jag- Jagermeister and then you drink the whole
0: jaeger bombs yeah. yeah. bombs yeah. yeah we do so, we have that too I yeah. think Jager is mm, disgusting mm-hmm. but may- maybe if it's uh, with something else it might be good I don't know
2: <laughs> I don't know Jager for me it's 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 the kind of thing where it's only good if you're more concerned about the destination rather than the journey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I guess, yeah. I guess I guess you don't really drink it
2: for the taste. No, I mean some people probably claim they do, but they're not, they're just yeah. No, yeah it, they're
0: it's not. like people who claim they like gin. <laughs> oh, I, I I mean I do, but <laughs> I like gin too. I just I make fun of it because it is it, it can be a pretty harsh beverage, especially if you're drinking something like beef eater. Yeah,
2: I like, yeah. I like to get people like people like because you do get people who have like. Who are very you know uh, know a lot about gin appearing like oh this is a really this is those you know gin you know made by you know fucking like blind monks in a mountain somewhere and like and then you it's really fancy stuff and then they fucking they drink it with like like an entire glass of tonic and, and lemon as well so I mean yeah know,
0: it's, it's not gin big. juice you <laughs> yeah. know that type of thing
2: yeah yeah,
0: yeah I, I mean like it's definitely good for like you said for the uh, destination and not the mm-hmm. journey indeed yeah
2: yeah that, that's something I kind of I get. Uh, there's just there's so much cool beer that you guys get over there that we we don't really you know like microbreweries over there that don't really you know exports into europe but i guess at the same time there's stuff we have here it's kind of hard for you guys to get probably like for instance the yeah. trooper beer so
1: right yeah the import laws in the u.s they're very weird like i remember going to robinson's website and yeah. just trying to order some beers to be delivered here they were able to deliver all throughout europe But not to the U.S. at all. It's like, damn it, man! I just want this beer to go on my shelf. I don't even want to drink
2: it. (laughs) You you, you guys have the there's a um, there is a variant. It's not it's not Robson. It's the uh, it's BrewDog. They did a maiden beer as well, something called Hellcat or something, and that apparently is available over there because that's not available here. Apparently so. Really? Uh, yeah. I think so, at least. I, I, that's what I... I mean, I didn't bother to investigate further when I realized I couldn't get it. So
0: I, <laughs> yeah. After that's like, oh, fuck. Them. Yeah, Okay. So, but.
1: Judith yeah. Priest did a rum, and that was only released in one country, and I think that was Sweden. Oh, shit. Really?
0: That is so weird. Like, it, I mean, it kind of seems almost arbitrary. If it was only released in England... Okay, well, I guess that's fair. They're from there. But like that's like one of those weird things when you find out that companies are like, "Oh, yeah, we released this new flavor of Coke, but we only released it in Morocco." Why?
2: So yeah. kind of a weird Why? thing some
0: companies do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, that definitely didn't happen. I'm just saying for like sake of example. It's such a weird right. thing. Like, "Oh, here's a rum, man. We're it's we're giving it to Sweden." Not that Swedes don't deserve great rum, but No, but
2: that we I think I, yeah, I just think more places should it makes no sense that we would be the only ones to get that because
0: is you know, rum not... is rum popular in Sweden?
2: Oh yeah, it's, it's popular but not enough. that It's not like that's our thing and therefore we should have it because it's like it's <laughs> yeah, right. also if, if they're not from here, they should it should be it's, it's so weird that it's not available in England then. It should that's where it should be. That's where they're from. Hey, let's get back to Judas Rising.
0: Yeah. And
1: I want to play the solo next, so I'm going to put that on. Do it. Do it up. To the wall in that one yeah i think that's one of my favorite kk solos
2: it uh i really dig that's my favorite bit of the solo is uh, right in the beginning the uh the sort of like um whether so the rest of the band kind of break for a second and he sort of keeps going there over the it, it, it's like sort of it's right right in the beginning of it just it's, it's mm-hmm. it just makes it skip it gets an extra sort of punch i, I like
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah the whole dramatic pause where the rest of the band just drops out for a second yeah. or half a second it lets the guitar have its own spotlight for just yeah. even if it's only for a second it's like amazing. you notice it and it has an impact on you
0: yeah. Yeah. yeah kk's tremolo work is some of the best in the biz you no know, like his dive bombs and his like what on the tremolo is fabulous yeah dude loves it.
1: his whammy bar you can't oh, deny yeah. that.
0: oh no man like and he and to his credit he really knows how to properly utilize it now i think he's Second, probably to like Gary Holt, the undisputed master of the Floyd Rose tremolo, Captain
1: Crunch. Yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. But Eric, what are your thoughts, man?
2: It's a great, it's a great uh, solo. It's it's very, it's uh, it's it's fast, but it's also very heavy, which I really dig. And like I said, the and again, like like I said up top there, the uh, dramatic sort of pauses in music when it's done right, it's it's always so cool. Like it gives it gives us an extra, you know, and. Yeah, I, I've not attempted to learn any pre solos because I'm a guitarist. I, I was not very, uh, I've never really been the kind of guy to sort of like uh, spend hours, you know, picking out someone's solo really, but there's some stuff in here that's really cool that'd be, that would be kind of cool to be able to do. Mm. Uh, so maybe someday. Yeah, Tremolos are a lot of fun. If you know, I, I haven't had one in years, but yeah, yeah, it's a.
0: Yeah, I think every guitarist fucks around with one, but you either really take to it or you don't.
1: Eric, you said something cool, like you appreciate how fast the solo is. And I think that's actually kind of important to point out, because like we said before, this song is on the slower side. It's not like a doom metal kind of Sabbath or candle mass slow, but it's certainly slower than most of what you hear from Priest. It's more of a plodding, thunderous, just strong anthem that it, it takes its time. Yep. And the way that the solo is so fast and packed with notes, mm-hmm. it is like a contrast to that. And it's sort of like all of the tension that's being built up for the first part of the song; it's now being released in an explosion from that KK Downing solo.
2: It had the song. The song, like I said, it doesn't. It's not the fastest one, but it also has. It there's a lot of. It, it feels like uh, with this very sort of driving kind of rhythm, it, it has a lot of yes. momentum. So for me, even though it, I guess technically it isn't that fast, it does feel like a lot's going on. It does feel like it's moving forward, like it's a in a sort of deceptive way that you might even for me. I even sort of thought of it as a kind of up kind of fast one, but I guess it really isn't. isn't it? it is kind of slow, really, but mm-hmm. not, not not in the board way. Just it's not it's not one of their faster songs.
1: Yeah, right. It's because the song is so positive in both what it represents the return of Judas priest and also the lyrical content that you know it's optimistic and it feels a little more upbeat than it probably is musically
0: hmm. mm-hmm. it's got a driving force behind it without being too fast there's a very good rhythm going on Definitely. it's i'd say it's empowering in a sense, especially when he just screams Judas is rising and you believe it when mm-hmm. he says that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the truth of the matter. This. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What he said.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Tom, you were pulling up the lyrics before and you usually have some great interpretations. So I want to know, like, what are some lines that really stick with you? Like,
0: let's take, a, let's take a look. You feel, man? OK, so here's the second verse is which sounds vaguely satanic. I mean it sounds like it's about Satan. Eternal betrayer, ice cold and evil, taking no prisoners. Dark Prince of the world, humanity trembles, enslaving your sinner, enslaving you sinners. you can't beg for mercy for none will be saved. The burden of sin echoes the prophecy ascended from hell, forever despising Judas's rising. So one thing that I always appreciated about Priest is that I've said this before, too, is that their lyrical themes are pretty universal. I would say they're usually about something, but vague enough that they sort of transcend cultural boundaries Mm -hmm. so that no matter where you're listening to this song, if you are whether you're in the United States or Japan or Brazil, Mexico or Sweden, it doesn't matter where you come from you can find something in the lyrics to really latch onto their themes are pretty universal i would say there's never aside from nostradamus they never really do things that are like culturally specific it's one of the things i really appreciate i think that's part of the power of this band is how anyone from anywhere can get behind them and i think that what they're going for here is the, well, they're obviously talking about Satan, mm. which is which I'm which I always love, big fan. Me too. Yeah, sweet. Where do
1: you see the yeah? Where do you see those uh, connections coming in where you sort of relate it back to?
0: It seems to be talking about Satan in biblical terms from a biblical perspective. No eternal betrayer, ice cold and evil, enslaving so sinners. Yeah, I can't really tie it back to my faith, but I can definitely see the religious significance and the religious um dogma that they're drawing from that's interesting i didn't really
1: tie it to anything specific in my brain and i guess i didn't read into the lyrics too much i just sort of thought of it in more of a general sense like Mm. oh yeah it's a self-descriptive song is what i thought it was yeah because i mean it's judas priest i mean judas Judas is rising The whole song has these motifs of just triumph and retribution. And there are even all these words in the lyrics that will remind you of references to older priest songs and albums like vengeance ignited Mm -hmm. and deceivers are crying. Yeah. Enslaving the sinners, vengeance, sinner, deceiver, like all these little winks and nods to those older songs
0: see i kind of like that so uh, coming from someone who overanalyzes everything it seems like they are tapping into their legacy as a band and calling back you know when they say the priest is back this is what they're talking about yeah. you know sort as of like good yeah recalling their past glories but also not from a place of like oh man you guys really are a shadow of yourself it's like no we're we were awesome back then and we're awesome now and we're mm. gonna let you know it
1: yeah eric what do you have to add to that like any thoughts you have on the lyrics
2: for me the lyrics have always just considering you know uh as this song being so sort of the way it reintroduced you know the band to, you know to the world as it were that did seem like maybe it was kind of like sort of sub- T- talking about themselves and using using kind of biblical imagery and that kind of stuff to sort of just sort of use as metaphors for th- that, them coming back and them rising again, or you know, they didn't really go anywhere, but still they're you know now they're bit back in a big bad way. So it's in- so that's I think um, uh, lyric wise, it's uh, like I said, there's all the stuff there is very. I don't want to say the word very typical. That's not what I mean, but it's like the you know the imagery, the sort of. Uh, the, the biblical kind of stuff is, is the kind of things you would, you know, it's not, not particularly surprising to find in a, you know, a lot of metal music, but it's just done very well here. And it's used very effectively for what they're trying to convey, which is obviously that they're back. It's just badass. The title is badass. The the the, word, the lyrics and just everything just kind of, yeah, it, yeah. It, it works very well.
1: Yeah. Rob Halford has always had sort of this talent with words. And when you read books about Priest or his biography, you learn that when he would go into the studio to write music, he would bring dictionaries and thesauruses and rhyming dictionaries, and he would work very hard on his lyrics and try and come up with the right wording. And I think that it's a talent unique to him. And you'll notice the difference when you listen to Jugulator and demolition, the lyrics are just not as good as when Rob was in the band. And it's like white bolt of lightning came out of nowhere blinded the darkness creating the storm it's just like his storytelling ability is epic man
0: he has a flair for both lyrical and i would say a visual motif of crafting a picture in your mind that's where his true strength lies i think the power of rob as a performer is his ability to create an image and to craft a narrative
1: yeah I mean, almost anyone can tell a story in the lyrics, but you have to be good to make the story come to
2: life. Yeah, agreed. I think also, you know, since they've had a little bit of problems, you know, in the you know through the years with being sort of attacked by you know various you know parental groups and you know Christians in general about them, you know, being whatever the hell, you know, all these kinds of things. Like a lot of metal bands, you know, have but you know they they eventually, you know, were I'm not sure if it was. I don't really recall if it was. The, the whole band or of Rob in particular when they were sued about it was like a wrongful death uh, case yeah. back in. And obviously well, yeah. you know, they had nothing to fucking do with that. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to sort of make a, a grand sort of like a mission statement of being fucking back to, you know, in, in, a big, in a big way, it would make sense to kind of use some sort of biblical kind of imagery because, you know, a lot of your detractors are people, you know, like you know, there's probably a hell of a lot of Christians out there weren't thrilled with them being back. In that kind of way. So, you know, there's, you use their imagery as a, you know, sort of fuck you back to them. I think that's a really cool way of doing it.
0: Rob is a man of faith, too. I mean, he's never very like specific about it, but he has, I think I read an interview Mm. um, when he released one of his, some of his Christmas solo work is that, you know, he feels a very, he has, he definitely is like a, a spiritual, religious person. And you can tell in his songs, But he's not very, like, out—he's not really loud about it. Like, there are biblical religious themes in most Judas Priest songs, but it's it's, never—I would hardly describe Priest as, like, a Catholic band, you know? Oh, yeah.
1: Rob Halford, he identifies as a Christian, but he's not the kind of fundamentalist, Bible-thumping Christian that you see portrayed in the American media so often— He's just a, more of a regular guy who, like most of us, his faith is sort of a loose guideline rather than a strict dogma. Yeah. Okay. Of course, as a gay man, you wouldn't expect that he's sort of following those fundamentalist uh, Christianity principles to the letter, no, no. because
2: you know those types of groups. Don't like him. No, yeah, the kind of people who, you know, who, you know, hang outside of gigs with signs and, you know, probably done that quite a few years, you know, through their career. Those are obviously the kind of people who are of the opinion that, you know, that are people like Rob, you know, they do, you know, are, you know, abominations that shouldn't exist. So obviously, if you're going to write, you know, even if even if you're a Christian, you know, maybe the fuck you isn't to Christianity as a whole. It's the fuck you to those kind of Christians you know you don't have to absolutely yeah and also like you can also there's even if you're i'm, I'm, not, I'm not christian i uh like i said my parents were catholics i was catholic up to us you know when i was old enough to, to leave uh and now I'm. all three of us were there catholic you there you go i i usually joke and call myself a recovering catholic uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think some of that imagery is very interesting and cool even though i don't i don't you know i'm i, I i'm not a fan of the catholic church by any stretch of the imaginations but I, I still think a lot of like biblical stuff is it's cool imagery and that's why it works very well in you know metal context or you know even mm-hmm. like you know so which is why it kind of was very effective here too
0: yeah i think that? that um as far as rob goes as a uh, man of faith it's um it's not i wouldn't say that it's central to his identity it's a part of who he is as a person it's like one part of a greater whole you know a lot of people tend to take one aspect of themselves and try to make that their entire personality and i don't think i don't think rob is that type of person i think he's a little more well-rounded as an individual than that
2: yeah, yeah. there's a lot yeah. to him
1: dudes, let us get into the set list history. Mm -hmm. Judas Rising was definitely the song that Judas Priest played the most off of Angel of Retribution. They did it on three different tours. Obviously, in 05, it would be kind of crazy if they didn't play Judas Rising on the Retribution tour. And they brought it back again in 2011 and 2012 for the Epitaph tour. At the time, that was intended to be their farewell. So they played at least one song from every album that Rob Halford was on. Mm. And then in 2019, they brought Judas Rising back one more time for the Firepower tour, which over the course of that entire tour, they had 44 different songs in the set list.
2: That's, Holy
0: a, shit. that's badass. Yeah, that still
1: blows my mind when I think about it, even though we've said it on the podcast a few times before. It's like, still... That was the tour where Priest cemented themselves as still being relevant and being able to offer the fans new experiences by dusting off so many of those lost classics and bringing them back and showing what this is us. This is our sort of diversity. And we've done so much music and we're going to make you fans happy instead of playing the same 16 songs every night. We'll switch it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's it is an incredible feat to pull off there are bands who are 30 years younger than they are who couldn't do shit like that
2: yeah it's it's nuts yeah just
0: uh, like from a musician standpoint i'm not the first person to point this out even being able to remember how to play 44 songs is incredible let alone pulling them all off flawlessly
1: that's a point you can only really get to when you are pretty experienced as a live performer i would yeah. say because i mean I agree. yeah they probably know breaking the law by heart i doubt they even have to rehearse it but yeah they are probably putting in a lot of time in the rehearsal room like when they're not on stage to make sure that they can keep up their skill and just remember those songs
2: i mean it, it's uh i've always i've often wished that um the Maiden would do a bit more of that. Cause when they have a set list, they tend to have that set list for quite a while. Uh, and that's, I mean, and I mean, nowadays, I guess, uh, especially the last tour there's, you know, the stage show is so locked into these particular songs. So I guess that's part of it, but still, you, like when you see Metallica, they switch it up too. Not to the same extent the Priest did, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, cause that'd be probably getting more people, more inclined to see multiple gigs. I mean, I know a lot of people still do that, but imagine like I, you'd, fucking, you'd have to go the entire tour if like, if they you know, if you don't know if it's gonna be a different set lists every night, you're gonna to want to see all the shows, you know, in a different way than you, you know. Yeah. yeah,
0: man. Well, like go ahead. I was just gonna say this goes back to my point about you know, bands like um Exodus is that I'm not sure if it's if they still do this, but I swear, man, I've seen that band four times, and the first three times I'm almost positive they played the exact same set list.
1: But they did. I remember. Yeah, I was there for two of those Mm -hmm. and the first time they were headlining and the second time they were, I think, opening for creator. And yeah, I just remember the second time I had fun. But I when the show ended, I realized, wow, Exodus didn't play a single song tonight that I didn't already hear them play last year. And it Mm. was a little bit of a letdown. Yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh, like you know, again, like your brain will pick up on patterns, and by the time I saw them for a third time, I was actually fucking bored. Like, that's, you know, like, so I won't
1: be bored seeing Priest multiple times.
0: Hell no! Uh, I mean, I don't know if anyone has ever been bored seeing Priest, and if they have, like, I don't want to know who that person is. <laughs> I, I don't want to know the the person who isn't thrilled seeing that band live.
1: Yeah. So if you would have watched Judas Priest live on the Angel of Retribution tour, here's what you would have seen. So Priest starts playing the song with the stage lights off. Then the light slowly gets brighter and brighter until you see the glowing red backdrop of the Angel of Retribution, like the art of the mechanical angel, starts to emerge and is lit up in this red light. Then once the lyrics kick in, then the lights come back on and you see the metal god himself in front of the angel. Uh, when I saw the band live, Rob was in a cage suspended from the ceiling, which was pretty damn cool. On the Rising in the East DVD, he's just standing on a raised platform, which is not nearly as cool, but uh, I guess it's it gets the point across.
0: Yeah, I think unfortunately, um, heavy metal has lost a lot of its theatricality over the years. Kind of sad. Yeah, I, d- what, I don't see like many bands doing like fire or pyrotechnics at all. It's shit like that. If you would have been around back in the '80s,
1: that's when they did the really insane shit, like yeah. the Metalion or the Metal Monster from Defenders of the Faith. They used to have a giant replica of that that they would bring out, and then yeah. paws would raise, and like the band members would just stand on top of the paws of the metal monster, and then they would perform like while they were
0: raised. Up <laughs> in the air. That's awesome. That's so Yeah, and cool. and they used to like fire a fucking machine gun full of blanks into the crowd. Apparently, yeah, they did. And we'll have to go over
1: uh in that CD box set the earliest live recording when you listen to genocide you can actually hear like at the
2: end they go that's <laughs> shooting, on shooting the blanks
0: that is so cool
2: yeah i mean i understand maybe why that might be difficult to do these days Mike. yeah come off. i agree <laughs> <laughs> I, I really upon.
1: do understand why they can't do that anymore that one makes sense, <laughs> back yeah. in the day they didn't give a fuck <laughs> no 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 no
0: yeah well that w- those were the days uh mm, yeah not the days before safety was invented but like you know what well, people didn't i don't think people took it quite as seriously Yeah. so guys what else do you got on judas rising i honestly don't have all that much um at this point eric what do you think yeah, yeah think wrap it, so
1: it hard up hard was hard. just a summary of what it
2: means to you maybe yeah it was it was sort of like when i was uh it, I, when i first started it was right in the period when i was really getting into like a lot of it was like when my world was opening up i had made and I had a few other bands but there was like other it was sort of like a big start of like a bigger world for me just getting into more different kind of as i didn't have very many metal friends at that point so it was it was just um it felt like it was sort of mine on my own at that point it obviously wasn't there's quite a few Judas priest fans out there i didn't know very many of them though at that point. Huh? but it's it uh and there's some that entire album just means a lot to me because just when it had you know, when it came to me when i when i when i heard it and i was stuff, stuff going on in my life at that point that is it was sort of like uh the whole album sort of became um kind of like a a little bit of pick me up when I, every now and again, when I sort of need it during that period, there's so many songs in that album that are very, you know, for me, very sort of uh, empowering and just kind of make me want to fucking, you know, keep going when you don't feel like keep going, keep going. And uh, this is kind of one of those ones for me. So definitely we've all
0: got that one album that like keeps that just reinvigorates us when we're at a low point.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm with you, man. And angel of retribution, that album had so much energy. And Retribution was exactly the right word to call because it showed that Priest is back. The album did what it was supposed to. It made me really excited to go see them live. And to this day, I still like a lot of the songs. And even though it's overlooked a little bit, like you said, I think that for a lot of newer fans, it's not overlooked because... I have a friend, Kane, who was just getting into Judas Priest since he started following our podcast, Mm -hmm. and he was telling me, dude, Judas Rising is so good, like Mm. a really amazing song. You should cover that. You know, the more people who give this album a chance, I think that they're going to find that Judas Rising is one of the highlights from the album, and it's one of the highlights from the reunion part of Priest's career. Mm. Definitely.
0: One song, though, I, I definitely want to go over eventually. Uh, well, we're going to do all of them eventually, but hopefully sooner. I want to do um Loch Ness, that song is epic.
1: Oh, good one. I love Loch yeah. Ness,
0: yeah, yeah. That to me was the standout track from Angel of Retribution.
1: Loch Ness is so controversial, too, because really there were a lot of people who hate that song, and hmm. I just kind of I don't know. Maybe I get what where they're coming from. That's not what they wanted. But mm-hmm. even so, the song is badass and it accomplishes I think it accomplishes the feeling that it's trying to create.
0: Yeah, it's very atmospheric and theatrical. And I also like to just think it's about the Loch Ness monster. So
2: oh it's a little on it longer it's longer than they usually do. Yeah. It's almost 14 it's like 13 and a half minutes. That's usually that's fucking huge for a priest song. Yeah, they don't really do that. I mean, you know, or maybe maybe they have. No, that's their longest song by far. Oh, there
1: you go. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, People have sort of accused Angel of Retribution of being this paint-by-numbers, generic priest album, and I don't entirely agree with that because songs like Loch Ness, Revolution, Worth Fighting For, they all have their own sort of unique sounds that priest hasn't really done anything
2: like it before or after. Definitely. Yeah. It's uh but also even, even if there is a bit, I mean, you can, you can definitely hear, you know, what you can hear what band it is pretty clearly. It does sound like mm. it very much. Sounds like Judas priest. Yeah, man. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that uh, it's, it sounds like them, but they're even, it sounds, they're, they're doing new stuff for this, you know, but they're still doing it within the framework of what Judas priest is. I feel so. I think that's fine. You're obviously going to put people who get annoyed by it. whenever something new comes out, it either sounds too much like the old stuff or not enough like the old stuff. You know, there's going to be people in both sides. The Star Wars problem.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Star Wars episode seven. This sucks. It's too similar to the old movies. Yeah. Star Wars episode eight, Last Jedi. This sucks. It's too different from the old movies. <laughs> yeah.
0: You can't win. yeah. Yeah. There's, it's eventually when something exists long enough there comes a point where you won't be you it's going to be impossible to satisfy everyone yeah at this point priest has existed for so long and the band has undergone so many different transformations that you're not going to please everyone some people simply aren't going to like it by the simple virtue that they are more attached to the 70s era or the 80s or 90s you know it's just that's just kind of how longevity works as far as entertainment goes
1: and it's also- especially with a band like priest because they're not a band like overkill or slayer where their mission statement has largely remained the same like mm-hmm. priest has always been experimenting with their sound yeah and like you'll get all kinds of different fans like there are probably the fans who want the more harder rock sound from British Steel and Point of Entry that were disappointed that they got heavier and went into more metal. And so, just based on the sheer number of things Priest has done, it's impossible for them to please everyone. But I think they did make a record where they
2: pleased a good portion of people. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, obviously, if they hadn't, like this sort of reunion era wouldn't have gone as well. And so, they're still they're still doing it and they're still doing it. You know, they're still the flag is, they're still, you know, flying the flag high. It's still going, you know, they're better than ever at this point. So
0: yeah, man, obviously it obviously works. Angel of retribution gave them a huge push in momentum and they're still riding off of that success to this day. So if nothing else, even if it's not the best priest album, it was probably one of the most important albums they've ever made because that's now brought them they're back from yeah. playing in clubs back to playing in arenas exactly and you know that's like 20 years of solid work now that they've got under their belt Like yeah. in this era alone
1: for that we just have to be grateful that the album put them back on the right path
0: well said george very well said
2: awesome so eric
0: yes
1: plug whatever you want to plug man
2: yeah, so, I mean, if you guys are listening there, uh, you know, if you, you like Iron Maiden, you should check out Maiden A to Z. There, it's also, it's a the podcast I do on the uh, Deep Dive Podcast Network where we sort of alphabetically go through Iron Maiden's uh, song catalog. We're currently on I, so we have uh, quite a bit to go. Uh, we're going to have George on pretty soon. So, yeah, it's it's been fun. We've been doing it for, we started in uh, November 2020, I think. Uh, and we've been sort of, Rolling along ever since it's been we've been you know pretty consistent it's uh it's been really fun so check it out if if you like it and if you also if you if, if you if you're listening to it and you hear a song you know there's a song that you want to talk about you know get in touch with us we'll you know we'll have you on that's how we we're, we're very you know it's always fun getting new people on the show. All right,
0: Eric, it has been a genuine pleasure having you on our show, sir. So thank, thank you for thank joining- you for
2: having me. It was it was been great. Yeah, thank you yeah, for joining man.
1: us. And we've already got more episodes planned in the future with Eric. And with his buddy, Jonathan, also from the Deep Dive Network from the A to Z show. Mm. And we've got a lot of future collaborations coming up with our friends in the Deep Dive Network and other peers in the podcasting world who are going to help us with some of the next few episodes. So stay tuned for that. We've got a lot of cool people that we plan on talking priest with. And Eric, again, thanks so much for joining us and we're going to be talking together again real soon i'm sure
2: yes i hope so this this has been uh, this has been delightful so yeah thank you thank you very much for having me uh, quite you're quite welcome anytime so until next time listeners stay locked in and keep defending the faith I mean, it was sort of safety,
0: but, you know, within reason, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, probably not a good idea to fire a gun full of blanks into a crowd. Blanks can injure and kill people, contrary to popular belief. So that's probably good. But, you know, it would be nice, especially, you know, and this is a little sort of a peeve of mine is I see a lot of other genres of music that have like really, really impressive stage props and designs and there's fireworks and fucking fire coming off the stage um and we don't have as much of that in heavy metal anymore maybe it's because the genre has become so niche that it doesn't draw the proper audience that's large enough to pull that sort of thing off in like a non-festival setting i suppose but yeah, that's some of that's something i think that we've lost
1: yeah, listen, man. Even if you're like at that level, you can still do something. Like one of my favorite bands, Less Than Jake, they're like a ska punk, mm-hmm. pop punk band, and they'll play like the same kind of venues as a medium sized metal act. They're playing like ballrooms and theaters that hold like 2,000 people. And during their shows, they're, like, firing off a toilet paper gun into the crowd. They're shooting confetti. They're throwing, like, beach balls into the crowd. <laughs> That's and fun. it's like, you don't need a huge budget
2: for that. But it's like, you can do something fun. I think there are, there are bands who still do the, to some degree, some of that stuff. I mean, I think Behemoth do quite a, quite a lot of that. And, uh, again, uh, you know... Uh, uh to you know obviously maiden still do that um quite quite a bit even more so late like in the last couple of tours but, maiden but it, is one of the best bands at theatrics yeah definitely but 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 also they're they're they can afford it in a different way because i think that's a problem i think that a lot yeah because these days you know you know, no one's really making that much money off records, or they are to some degree. Some bands are, but it's 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 you know, the people are making less money. I guess so it's 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 not as lucrative, or you don't have money to throw around the same way you did back in the eighties, where you could bring a huge, literally, you know, metal thing guy with you all the place. Yeah, you can, but it's going to be very expensive, and it's, you know, I guess people just you know, it's not worth it. I guess.
0: I guess I mean that's the thing. Pyrotechnics are probably prohibitively expensive for a lot of bands and then high like you know all the safety precautions and technicians you need to bring on for that sort of thing
1: well yeah Yeah. you can't even do them a lot of bands couldn't do them because if you're at the level of like exodus or obituary you're headlining like these clubs and theaters but you have to be in an arena to do pyrotechnics because yeah. you can't you can't light off a fire <laughs> if the ceiling isn't like a certain level above you.
0: Yeah like no, you can't play you can't play it like Webster Hall and like shoot off fireworks. <laughs> well, you no,
2: know, I mean infamously there's that horrible accident uh oh at the Great know, White Show? Yeah, yeah. That yeah, is, people yeah. died. Didn't you burn down. A, what happened there? So it was a uh, it was some club I think it was I think it was in New York somewhere I don't remember but it was uh, in the US for sure. I know yeah I know but I think it might have been in New York. I'm not sure I can look it up actually. But what happened was so great white were playing and um they they had a bunch of pyrotechnics that apparently someone said was the venue had cleared they had not cleared them I guess and uh, a huge fire um broke out and a lot of people died. Oh uh, shit. Let's see. constantly yeah all right. Uh it's terrible. Yeah, I just uh Wikipedia it. It was Rhode Island. Mm. Yeah. Jesus, 100 dead? Holy is right? shit. Is that right? That could be, I guess. Wow. That is that, horrible. Yeah, it was on, it was on February uh, 20th, 2003. 100 dead, four and four just in the hospital. God uh, damn. And it was ign- it was ignition by uh, acoustic uh, foam, and it was fireworks that did it. Wow. Uh, That's the, the, so sad. Yeah, the that manager on to- guitarist died in that. Yeah, wow. Didn't, and uh, yeah, I think the the nightclub owner and I think maybe the band's uh, uh, manager and that you know did get in quite a bit of trouble for that. Obviously, didn't
0: Guns N' Roses start a riot in L. A. once?
2: I think it was in Montreal. but yeah, oh. they've probably, they probably done it in L. A. too. For, you know, as far as I know, that seems I, like I, I,
0: I think I remember watching this on some like VH1 documentary years and years ago that they performed a unexpectedly short set. Yeah. And the crowd got so pissed that they started a full blown riot. Yeah.
2: That's actually weirdly, that is also p- pyrotechnics related because what happened there was so it was like they did a co headlining tour with Metallica. This was this would have been in I think it was 92. I don't, I think so at least. And I think this was in Canada. And what happened was uh, H- James uh, Hetfield uh, was standing in the wrong place during uh, a p- portion of the song and, you know, got like, you know, basically caught on fire. You know, oh. so they had to Ugh. he had to be rushed yeah. to the hospital. Uh, and they had to, you know, they they couldn't they couldn't uh, they they had to cut their gig short by about they only got like maybe a third into it. Uh, and then I guess Axel didn't got in the mood and didn't like being upstage, so he, you know, stormed off the stage quite early in the set, and then there was a riot. <laughs> <laughs> God
0: damn, dude. I mean, listen, those tickets were probably expensive as hell. And then you figure out, oh, um, we're only playing a third of the show, no refunds. Sorry.
2: Yeah, that's right, because, yeah, I mean, that was, that's, yeah, I I mean, I get the, I I get you'd be pissed. I'm a huge Guns
1: N' Roses fan, but even I would not have wanted to see the band back in the day showing up three hours late and then Axel cutting the set short because of some bullshit, and I just paid however many hundreds of dollars for a ticket. It's like, fuck you, dude, like, I paid money, and if you're not going to perform, then what am I paying for?
0: Yeah, man, like guys like fucking I remember like seeing him jumping into the crowd and starting a fist fight with man. someone like my dad. That was pulled... badass. That
1: was. Yeah. Badass. Fuck, yeah. Actually.
0: I mean, listen, I'd rather if I had to choose, I'd probably rather get assaulted by Axl Rose than like George Fisher. For oh, example. Yes. <laughs> yes. George Fisher is a terrifying person when he's mad. Like there's this vi- there's this great video that me and George would watch growing up. Where someone's like throwing shit at him on stage and he stops the show and he says, (laughs) Whoever's throwing money at me, keep it up because I'm going to stick your dick, your fucking dick up your fucking ass after I fucking rip it off.
1: And then the best part is after that, he says, And now this next song is dedicated to the motherfucker who doesn't have the balls to come up and say it to my face. This next song is, and then he does the death growl.
0: I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, he meant that shit. Like, it, it, it'd be funny
2: if he turned out it was Chris Barnes. <laughs> <laughs>